At East Glenville, we believe the scriptures are God's message to us and the intentional word of God, intentional communication that he, and, and we believe they are authoritative, that we want to follow what, what God says to us in the Bible. There is a, a Bible command, though, that we do not obey or follow in this church, but I don't know any Christian or church that does follow this particular command. It is one, um, and I'm, it's not some Old Testament thing about mildew or shellfish. It's a New Testament command, and it's not repeated just once, but five times. Nevertheless, Christians don't follow this command. Moreover, we craft policies that, that, that people won't obey this command. We, we have, if you would try to follow this particular command, you probably would be like kicked out of church. The command is this. In Romans 16, 16, it says, greet each other with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send you greetings. Five times it says for Christians to greet each other with a holy kiss. So we don't do that, do we, in our modern day and age? And, and so, yeah, how do we think about that? Um, I'm going to argue that we actually do follow this command, the intent of it, in a way that is appropriate to our culture. So did, did Greek and Roman people walking around, did they just go up and kiss each other all the time? Is that, is that what you picture when you think of, like, the Romans? And did they, they, you know, did they walk up in the forum and just kiss one another? Actually, no. No. What, what Paul's talking about is a particular thing. Who did greet each other with kisses, um, whether it's on the cheek or whatever? Family. Brothers and sisters. Right? You did greet each other as fam- it was a recognition, you know, father, mother, brother, sister. I know in our day it's weird because we associate kissing purely with romantic attachment. But it was a sign of being part of family. And so what Paul is telling the disciples to do, the followers of Christ, treat each other in the church as family members, brothers and sisters in the faith. The Paul does not talk about, he doesn't even use the word be Christians or whatever. The word Christian barely shows up in the Bible. What he says is you are in Christ, or he says the brothers and sisters in the faith. The way he describes Christians as, is as the, 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 the brethren, the brothers and sisters. And so when we build relationships in the community of disciples such that we know what's going on in each other's lives, we share together as, as, in a sense, as a family. It's one reason why we do the Wednesday night fellowship dinner. Like, that is gathering around the table as, as family members, as brothers, sisters. I would argue we are keeping the intent of what Paul says, brothers, um, or greet one another with the holy kiss. Uh, there's a great line from Tommy Boy where he encounters a long-lost brother, and he says, 
you know, the, he goes to shake his hand. He says, brothers, don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug, right? That's the, that's the gist of it, right? When, you know, even hugging nowadays is, is problematic. Everything's problematic in our modern culture, but, but we are more like that, right? We, we, we show that kind of affection for one another, and that's important. I start with that because what do we do with passages like our main text where it speaks about cultural practices of ancient times that don't fit within our modern culture? How do we work our way through this? Do we try to follow them literally? I, I don't know. Do you? I, I've, someone told me before service, they have friends who wear head coverings in different parts of their lives. And I had good friends so they sang at my wedding the, the 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 women would would they would just have little caps in order to try to follow our passage today not just in church but pretty much all the time you know do we try to follow them literally in some way like with with some kind of head coverings or do we just ignore them and say that was then this is now completely irrelevant i want to i want to challenge us to try to understand better what it's saying so that we can follow the intent of it what it is trying to say to us. If we dig in, understand the situation and what was being addressed so that we can apply it in a way that matches the intent of what Paul was telling the people in Corinth to do. Um, just like, if, you know, there's the Old Testament passage, if your, your enemy's ox is overburdened, help them out. Well, we don't do that so much. But if your enemy or if you're someone you don't get along with, their car is broken down, you follow the, the ox thing by pulling over and helping them with what. So that's how you do it in our modern culture. So I'm going to start by saying th- the issue may not be what we think it is based on a cursory reading. I, I am using many sources, but one of them is Gordon Fee, esteemed uh, Bible scholar, conservative, evangelical. His, his commentary, he's, he, he a couple times is talking about understanding what Paul says in this particular passage is like, like trying to gather mercury in your hand, which I've never done, and I don't know, I don't know where he got that from. But, but it, it's, it's like slips through. It's really slippery. It's difficult to do. So, so we're going to ask, what is the deal with head coverings? And I'm going to start by saying, I don't think it is actually about stuff like this. I'm going to argue instead that it's not about cloth, scarves, or these kind of head coverings, but actually it is more relevant to talk about hair clips or, or uh, whatever these are called cool things. So, sp- spongies, <laughs> scrunchies, something like that. Yeah. Um, so it's actually talking about hair. And so I'm, I'm going to give you six reasons that, that I, I do. And then we're going to go through the passage carefully and, and look at like why that is. So here are six quick reasons why I think it's actually about, um, about how, how hair is being worn, not about scarf head coverings. One is, it starts by speaking about covered and uncovered heads, but quickly the topic shifts to hair length. Right, right away, he's shifting to hair length. And he compares a covered head with hair being cut off. 
So let's understand what that is. Second reason. It's this verse 4 where it, it says that men, it's disgraceful for a man to pray with his, with his head uncovered. Is that what it says? And so that makes no sense if you're talking about scarf head coverings because it says, yeah, every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But we know in the Jewish territories, men prayed with head coverings. So there's something else it's talking about. And, and we'll get to that when we look at that. So a third, third reason, um, no cloth garment is cited within this whole text. So nowhere does it say, say some specific type of garment that they're to cover their head with. Nowhere does it use the word that you would use if you're putting on clothing or anything like that. It doesn't say clothe yourself or anything related to getting dressed Um, It's just these words, covered and uncovered. Fourth reason, the only covering cited is hair. Where it says uh, hair is given to women as a covering. The only one that's covered. And And then fifth, there's a place where it says women are to control their head. I'll I'll show that to you when we get to it. But, But it actually does say something like that. And then here's the sixth reason. And I, I did some research on this, uh, on this, and I'll, I'll come to that. But Greek women did not tend to wear head coverings. Greek women wore their hair bound up, and a lot, they Greek women were really into hair braiding. In fact, Peter talks in different places in the Bible talks about women having their hair braided. That's a thing in the now. This is different than Jewish women. You know, you look back, like you watch The Chosen and Mary Magdalene, they always have their hair, head covered. That's the Jewish part. In, but in Greek and the Roman Empire, it was more about hair braiding. So those are six reasons that I, I'm going to give you on the outset. And so let's go with me on this. Let's suppose it's talking about um, how, a women, how the women were doing their hair as they took part in worship. So... Give me some time to kind of make this case, and then let's look at the passage and see what we can figure out. Um, Begins with, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So Paul is saying, follow me, imitate what I'm doing as I imitate or I follow Jesus Christ. But but how does he want us to do that? Let's just go a few verses earlier in 1 Corinthians 10. So this is right before he says this. What's he saying? The, the thing he wants them to imitate, 1 Corinthians 10 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. So he's saying, imitate me in, in how you... Um, and what you're doing, that it would gl- bring glory to God and you're not giving offense to people in your actions or behavior. Give thought to how you're doing these things. And so you, know, you may have the freedom to do something, but don't give offense unnecessarily. So that's kind of the context that, that's coming into this. So that's verse 1. Verse 2, then he says, Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. So he begins by praising them. And generally, they have been following 
what Paul has taught them in how to live and, and the way to do worship, the way to, to build a faith, and in what they're doing. So, so he's saying, you have been following what I've taught you. But something new had come up that he wasn't able to address when, the, you know, when he was initially with them. Something, some new practice, and I'm going to get to that, is, has been taking place that wasn't accounted for when he was first with them. And what is that practice? Verse, verse 3, we learned it has to do with husbands and wives. It says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. So it has to do with husbands and wives and how they relate to each other. In, and we're going to go, it's in how they relate to each other and, and doing public worship. So I talked a few weeks back about um, husbands, wives, and marriage roles. I don't want to go all in this, but it does say, you know, it repeats here. This is something Paul would have, this was not new, that Paul would have taught that the you know, husband is the head of his wife. It doesn't mean that he's the master and she's the slave. In fact, I use this illustration because I love this. It means that husbands and wives are not riding separate bikes side by side. It means they're, they're riding one bike together. They're on a tandem bike. And yes, there are, the husband is called to, in a sense, take the lead and, and set, set the direction. And what I think this means in regards to your relationship with Christ talking about men, you can't say, well, you know, I'll just bring home the bacon. Honey, you handle all the religious stuff. Because aren't men prone to doing that, right? Like, I'll, I'll do all the, you know, if, if I'm earning the paycheck, I, you know, you, hand, you do the religious thing, you make the decisions there, and I'll, I'll, you know, God says no. Men, the spiritual direction of your family is part of your responsibility, you can't just pawn that off on your wife. That's one thing that this means. Um, that you're riding together, you're not working against each other. So he's, but all this has to do with this issue. And then it goes on to verse 4. And it begins to get into, well, what's the actual issue that's going on? So it begins when a woman prays. Uh, so verse 5 talks about um, a, a woman or a wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head because it is the same as if her head were shaven. So whatever the issue has to do with, sorry, um, it's when a woman was taking a role in the worship time of speaking or, or praying. Realize, they didn't pray silently. That, that's actually something, when they prayed, they're talking about praying out loud. So when a woman is taking a role in public worship of speaking, so note, women are speaking in worship. They're not being silent. They're not, they, they have a role. Um, but they're doing it in a way that is causing troubles. And, and so it says specifically, having whatever he's talking about with a covered head it's equivalent to having her hair being cut off. We know what that means. There was specifically, if, if a woman was caught in adultery or committed adultery, one of the signs of that is you would shave her head as part of the punishment. 
So it's saying that, that the woman is presenting herself in a way similar to, to a woman who was committing adultery. Where am I at, my thing? Sorry. Um, so we're picturing headscarves, but I'm going to suggest that it it's actually has more to do with bundling up her hair. So we, we says, uh, I have a quote, a woman guilty of adultery shall have her hair cut off as punishment. That was, that was one of those signs. So what the wife is doing was equivalent to having her head shaved. Not the same thing, but, but or it would be, in a sense, showing yourself to be, be like taking off the wedding ring. And, you know, oh, I'm available. I'm, I'm this. Rather than portraying yourself as a married woman who's faithful to her husband. So, so let's go back to verse 4. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. In the Greek and Roman culture, so, so we know that the Jews wore um, head coverings. And so they, they did. So what, what's, this, what's this talking about? If you literally go to the word it's saying, it says literally have down over his head. So it can't be talking about head coverings because Jewish men prayed with their head covered and that wasn't shameful. So what's he saying? He's saying if you have down over his head, in other words, it's saying if you have long hair as a man, and that's what the, the verb is talking about, long, loose hair. So a man who has long, loose hair, well, what did that convey? In the Greek and Roman culture at the time, long hair was a sign of being effeminate, woman-like. And for a man to present himself as female would dishonor his creator. That's where Paul is heading with it. So if a man comes up and he's leading worship and he has long hair, in that culture, that would have been like presenting yourself as a woman and that would be dishonoring to God. So then the wife, he's saying, if that's what the man does, what does wife do? If a wife comes up and her hair is hanging loose, it would have conveyed the fact that she is not faithful to her husband. And so it would be dishonoring to her husband. Greek women, I have an article on how they wore their hair. So from the information that has survived, we know that the uh, Greek women wore their hair mostly braided styles with little indication of bangs, ponytails, or other kinds of extensions. Depending on the styles of the day, a woman might curl or gently wave her hair, but where a young girl might wear her hair down her back, an adult woman would have hers up. Would have her hair up. A rich Greek woman might keep her hair long due to vanity. But oftentimes the only people who would see it loose were her husband and her servants. Within Greek culture, it was improper for a woman. It would have been seen as improper for her to come with her hair hanging way down over her head, hanging loose. Not a big deal in our culture, um, but, the, but, but Paul's dealing with how you present yourself when you're taking a role of leading worship. So going on from there. Here's, here's the interpretation of these words, saying so that when it's uncovered 
Every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. Uncovered refers to her hair let loosely down around the shoulders. Covered would then refer to a woman's hair done up over her head, whether, round or, whether wound around and held in by itself or held up by a clasp, hairnet, headband, ribbon, or some other utensil. There's an, in Paul's day, an overwhelming consensus in Greek, Roman, and Jewish cultures that women should have their hair done up. It was a sign of her dignity and honor, and to let her hair down in public brought disgrace on a woman, and it also brought disgrace on her husband. So what was going on in Corinth? In the city of Corinth, in this Christian community, women had been set free from the the harsh Greek rules. And in the church, they had new freedom. In fact, they were participating in worship. They were leading in worship, you know, leading prayers. They were prophesying, speaking God's word in worship. And that was okay, and Paul was okay with this. Paul taught them it was okay. That was part of the, you know, you've been following the traditions. But one way they started to express their freedom then is the wives were coming with their hair instead of done up in a way, they're hanging loose. And it was, it was bringing dishonor to their husbands. So a visitor would come in and say, is that your wife, dude? Like, like is, you know, why is her hair down like that? It would have, it would have brought questions for people who didn't know the relationship there. It would have been embarrassing. And Paul's saying, just because you have the freedom to do it, don't use your newfound freedom to play this active role in worship in the wrong way. Right? Don't present yourself in this way that would be embarrassing to your husband and bring dishonor upon him. That is what I suggest is going on in Corinth. Let me go on to verse 8. Verse 8 is basically saying God made men and women different. And that was part of God's plan. It reminds us of Genesis 2, where it says, you know, man was not made from the woman. But instead, in Genesis 2, you had Adam. And the, the Eve was made from the rib of a man out of what was in a man. And so it was not good for the man to be alone. So God created the woman as a supportive partner, a husband and wife. Um, and so it says, in the Lord, the woman is not independent of her husband, of man. But neither is man independent of woman. You're brought into this relationship. So don't act as if you're independent of him. And that's what the, the hair thing would do. It's saying, I don't need to, to, to be, I could be independent of him. I'm not bound to him as a, as a married person. It says, so, in verse later it says, uh, Paul, so note how Paul says there's this equivalence there, right? So woman was made from the man, the rib of a man, but now man, every man, is born of a woman. And so all things are ultimately from God. So it was part of God's plan that though, though woman came from man, now every man is born of woman, and it's a sign that we're all from God. Now, I know science has been working on creating babies that they're not born of, of women, 
and just born in a jar. Did anyone read Brave New World when they were a kid? Yeah, like three of us. Okay. Um, I think I had it assigned in college. Anyways, uh, but in there, babies are created in a jar. We're not there yet, and I don't think we're ever going to get there. So for now, uh, we're made by God. And, and here's the thing. To, to reject your biological gender is to try to reject how God made you. And I know this is a sensitive topic in our modern day age. True for the last time I talked about this, it wasn't as big a deal in the last things. So I want to I speak for a minute to that sensitive topic, to those who struggle with, with gender dysphoria, which means you're biologically one sex, but you feel like you're, you're the different, a different sex. The world insists that we need to affirm those who are struggling with that, that, that they should take their cues from their, their inner desires and just affirm them in, being, in switching their genders. And that anything other than that complete affirmation is hateful and dangerous for that person. I don't think that's right. I don't think that's the wise way to do it. But I do want to say, Christians, we need to be caring and considerate of people and not just mocking. Not just seeing this as a culture war issue versus a person. And not being dismissive of this heart struggles that they're going through just because we cannot relate to those heart struggles at all. But instead, what we would say to someone, what I would say to someone, if this is a struggle you are having, and in your heart you feel like you're one gender, but your body is a different gender, I'd say you are in the right place. I want you to know you're welcome as part of this fellowship and welcome in worship because you need to draw near to God. Only your creator can help you figure this out. And when we come to our creator, we we each come. With, with inner heart struggles that we, we need help from him to figure out. So if that's where you're at, just know we're not being dismissive of you or your, your feelings. We just believe that we'd be, um, but for you to, to take those feelings and, and make them the measure of who you are means you're missing what God would say to you. You will find who you are by looking to your creator, not by looking for, for some inner feeling that, of affirmation or for affirmation from the people around you. And what I, I am hearing is more and more stories of those who, who tried to surgically transition to a different gender, different sex, and it didn't solve their inner anguish. And some of them are, are re-transitioning back. Instead, it just brought in emotional, physical damage along with emotional heartache. Coming back to our passage. In the Lord and Christ, God brings women and men together into one body of believers who need each other. And now I want to look closely at this verse 10. And this, I think, is, is one of the key verses to try to understand what's going on. So here's how it read in our text. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head. And for some, this verse explains why headscarves are needed, right? Because, if, and, and they'll basically say, well, if a, a woman or a wife is teaching in the church, 
she has to show that she's under the authority of her husband in doing that. And this, this is the symbol that, that she's not speaking on her own, but that she's speaking under the authority of her husband because she doesn't have authority to speak otherwise. I dispute that, that idea. I, I once had a, 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 she was our worship leader. She, she talked about how at a different church, she was asked to teach Sunday school because she was a really good Sunday school teacher. She was really wise in, in, how, in her ability to teach. Uh, but it was the type of church that would have taught that, that women can't teach in a mixed class. And so they, they, they told her, well, you got to have your husband sit in, and we're going to list his name as one of the co-teachers. And she's like, but my husband is not a, a Bible teacher. <laughs> He's an engineer, right? Engineers can't be Bible teachers. Um, yeah, but, but anyway, it, it just wasn't him. He was great. He was great. Um, great guy. And he was solid in the church, but that wasn't his thing. It, it, she was the teacher, but nevertheless, and he says, because we need to be, we, we need to have a covering, right? So it's drawing back on this very passage. So now I want to show you something in Greek, the word symbol is not there. It was added by the translator. And I seriously, I, I brought my uh, literate, uh, transliteration. It's the Greek text with the English words underneath. I would like you to come and look and see for yourself that in the Greek text, the, the word symbol of is not there. It was added. So what's the literal translation? The literal translation is a woman, the woman ought to have authority over her head. What does that mean? Well, if you're thinking of headscarves, it doesn't make sense. That's why they added, obviously they must mean a symbol of. She must have a symbol of authority over her head. And, and so I consulted Fee, who's a solid Bible expert, and he says, yeah, but that word, authority, exousia, is never, never really means that passive idea of uh, so it, it, it would, the only way it makes sense is the woman ought to have authority, control. But if you're thinking of, Paul's talking about head clips and, and braiding and that kind of thing. Instead, it does start to make sense. It's saying a woman ought to have control over the hair upon her head. It not to be hanging loose as it was, which, which gives the implication of, of being sexually loose. Um, there's a, in, in Corinth, there's a cult called the Dionysian cult. And that, in that cult, the women would run. It, it's, they had this revelry thing. So there were, there were implications of, of, of that with the loose hair. He's saying, don't, you don't want to convey that. So this is why a woman ought to have control over her head so that, so that people could see that, that she's not, not like that. Because um, you don't want to lead people astray. So I have the next frame shows the different pictures of... Um, and so he's arguing from cultural... Pra- uh, that's a different frame. But anyways, he's arguing from the cultural practices of the day. And that's where it goes in verse 13. It says, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a wife to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not nature itself teach you? That, you know, if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace for him. But if a woman has long hair, it's to her glory. What's he talking about? He says, that's, that, when he says nature, he's talking about how the, the cultural view of it. 
Paul is, is making an argument from cultural practices. He's not quoting scripture because there's no scriptural rule against men having long hair. In fact, there were times men were commanded to have long hair in the Bible, in the Old Testament. There's a thing called the Nazarite vow. And so that was not shameful for a man to have long hair. You know, if he's just quoting scripture, um, Samson was under the Nazarite vow. That's why he had long hair. And actually him cutting his hair was the, was the issue. So he's saying, but, but in the Greek culture, having long hair conveyed this, this different thing. It was viewed as a disgrace. While for a woman, having long hair was a part of her beauty. And so ultimately saying, this is what we're doing. Don't be contentious about this. Don't use your freedom to cause dissension. And let me bring this home. Um, and let me, because here, here's what it's about. It's about when you're, especially when you're leading worship, it's about his glory, not your self-expression. We live in a culture that prizes self-expression. Right? We, we build social media sites so that we can express ourselves and, so, and show pictures. But when we, we're in worship, we're not trying to glorify ourselves. We're not trying to show how we are. We are doing this to bring honor to, to the Savior, to, to God, our Father, to Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is where we, we go back. It says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And so he's saying, including how you wear your hair, including how you present yourself in your attire and in your dress. D- don't give offense to the Jews or to the Greeks, you know, or to people in the church. He says, just as I try to do everything, I, I, I do not seek my own advantage, but I'm seeking what, what leads people to salvation. And, so, and that's when it goes to verse one. That's why you need to imitate me as I follow Christ. So... So that's the whole point. That's how it's about not, not glorifying ourselves through self-expression, but glorifying Christ. And on that level, it truthfully does not matter whether the passage is talking about headscarves or hair braiding. And if, if I didn't convince you that that's what it's about, don't worry about it. I had a guy get really mad at me, actually, the last time I talked about this. He's like... Um, don't, it's not that important what it's talking about. It's the principle that matters. That, that especially when we're leading worship, we're about glorifying the Lord and not about just showing off ourself. And I want to talk about how to apply because this is important. The application in the passage is aimed at church worship leaders, those who are given a speaking role. It is not meant to be applied to visitors. We are not called to police how people dress or their hair, um, hairstyle when they come to worship. Whatever color our, our, maybe our kids have colored their hair, um, you know, it is fine. We want them here in worship if they, they do that. You know, that, that is not an issue. Uh, I, I know I had some college leaders, young women, when I was, they, they were volunteers for me and they talked about visiting a church and they, they, how do college kids dress? Jeans, t-shirt, that's how they went. Well, the pastor literally in the sermon called them out and talked about how you're supposed to only wear dresses. Yes. That kind of crap happens. 
right? And of course, they never went back. They laughed it off, you know, like an idiot pastor. But, but like, like, they never went back to that church, of course. That's not what we are not called to police people. Whatever, you know, within limits, I think. I think bikinis, we probably might want to keep off limits. But, um, but within limits, it's whatever it takes to get you in the door, we're, we're glad you're here. Because we want to worship God. We want you to know Jesus Christ. Um, but I do want to challenge you to give thought. How do you present yourself in worship when you come? Um, not saying it's important to get dressed up or any of that, that stuff. But, but what does God care about? In fact, it says, you know, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. How do we present ourselves when we come to worship God? Do we come with hearts ready to, to, to seek him, to know him? Do we want to honor God when we show up at church? Do we even want to try to dress in a way that does honor God? That's fine, whatever. Um, Jesus had a conversation with the woman. And, and one thing he said, and this is a woman who normally would have been shut out from religious stuff. This, the woman in Samaritan, he, he says, and she says, well, I, I can't worship the way you guys worship. You know, you worship in Jerusalem. We worship somewhere else. And here's, I love his response. says, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Right? That's what God is looking for. He's looking for people who want to seek him and worship him in spirit and in truth, who want to know him, to want to have hearts changed by him. So I hope and pray that when we come to worship, we are coming to worship him um, in spirit and in truth. Let me, let me pray. Father, I know we as human beings care so much about what we look like. And you really don't. You are no respecter of persons and our outward appearance does not matter to you as much as our heart attitude. So, Father, teach us how to have a heart attitude that is drawing near to you. Show us how to come near to you. Show us how to relate well to one another in, in what we do and the way we do it. But, Father, we pray that you would receive us. We know you will receive us because you receive any of those who's, who come to you in sincere worship. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.